A reading from Psalm 94, verses 1 through 15. O Lord, thou God of vengeance, thou God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Render to the proud their deserts. O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exult? They pour out their arrogant words. They boast all the evildoers. They clutch thy people, O Lord, and afflict thy heritage. They slay the widow and the sojourner and murder the fatherless. And then they say, The Lord does not see. The God of Jacob does not perceive. Understand, O dullest of people. Fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who chastens the nations, does he not chastise? He who teaches men knowledge, the Lord knows the thoughts of man. They are but a breath. Blessed is the man whom thou dost chasten, O Lord, and whom thou dost teach out of thy law, to give him respite from the days of trouble, until a pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. For justice will return to the righteous, and all the upright in heart will follow it. We have uh, been in a series called Speaking Christian for the last several weeks, um, and uh, where we've been kind of dissecting some of the language around Christianity. And um, quite frankly, I hope it's been a bit challenging for you. I, I know that, that as I have prepared for these, I've, I've come across some ideas that have challenged my, I, my thinking, and, and I pray that you've been challenged too. Uh, I hope you go home kind of wondering and questioning and and pondering and spending time with that um, but uh, we're going to conclude this is the last uh, week of the sermon series how, how many of you enjoyed this it's okay if you haven't my wife hates it <laughs> she she doesn't like feeling like she's being lectured at so it, <laughs> it's okay if you didn't like it and it, like I say about anything in the church just stick around long enough it'll change you know we'll switch it up so uh, anyway this will be the I'm glad I'm glad many of you enjoyed that and uh, uh, have uh, gotten something out of that but um, so uh, today we're concluding it's appropriate we're concluding with Talking about the second coming, really big, really big uh, topic, and I want to talk uh, about a lot of that. How many of you remember reading Hal Lindsey's uh, "The Late Great Planet Earth"? How many of you read that in the '70s, right? And I got to tell you, I read that, and it was it was an impactful book. How many of you read the Left Behind series? That's even more recent. Right? Some of you are kind of timid. It's okay. We're not, we're not here to judge. That's fine. <laughs> some of you are a little timid about that. Uh, I, read, I read some of those as well. And I want to tell you that I was, I'm, I was, I remember when I was younger, before, before I went to seminary and all of that, <laughs> when I was younger, a young Christian, I remember turning to Robin and saying, I think I'm going to be raptured before. I die. I think, I think the world's going to end before you and I die. I remember believing that, feeling confident about that. And I have to tell you, my faith has evolved to a place where I no, lo I no longer think that. And, and uh, 
not only that, but even if I did, I'm not sure that it really matters so much uh, that if, if I really thought that was going to happen. Many of us were impacted by this whole second coming stuff and the rapture by the recent uh, <laughs> uh, anticipation of May 21st, was it, when uh, people were supposed to be raptured. And I, you know, I always feel, I feel bad for, didn't, you, didn't your heart go out to folks who had poured their in, all of their faith into this expectation and then it didn't happen and I just wanted to go I just wanted to wrap my arms around them oh I'm so sorry that uh, that well not sorry that the world didn't end but I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry that that you've had this incredible disappointment and I, I and I want to talk about some of the ideas that that Hal Lindsey and and the guys who wrote Left Behind are working with uh, and what I want to say is that the rapture and, and all of that tribulation stuff that comes with it. That that is a, that's a modern idea. It's not in the Bible. And for most of Christianity, no one has thought about that. Now, we get this idea. Some guys, there's a guy, a, a British evangelical preacher in the 1880s, about the time this church was being formed. This, this evangelist in England came up with this idea call, of dispensationalism. And dispensationalism uh, basically preaches that there's all these different eras that the universe goes through. And, they, and it was Darby who came up with this notion about a rapture. And he, he really focuses in on 1 Thessalonians uh, four here and it says this for this we declare to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive who are left until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who have died for the Lord himself with a cry of command with an, the archangels call and with the sound of God's trumpet will descend from heaven and the dead in Christ will rise first then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up in the clouds together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is, this is where Darby got the notion of a rapture. And, and I can tell you that I, I know listening to it, you go, absolutely, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> it sounds like the rapture, but i got to tell you, that I think we hear it that way because many of us have grown up hearing about the rapture. What, however we understand this text, and I won't get into necessarily what I think Paul was really talking about or the language Paul was using, what I want to say is however we understand this text, even if we understand it as a rapture, nobody understood it that way until Darby in 1880. That for you know, 1800 years prior to that, when Christians read this text, they did not think about being raptured and going to heaven. They thought about something else. So, and, and so it's important that we understand that this is a modern idea, that the, the idea of a rapture and the tribulation and all of these things are, are modern constructs, and I would say a product of industrialism, but I won't get into all that. But, <laughs> the, but there, is this, there is this notion of dispensational, and it gets, it gets promoted by uh, the uh, Schofield 
in America. In fact, Darby's ideas didn't take off so much in Britain. They took off here with Schofield. And, and Schofield had a Bible and put out a Bible that had all kinds of notes in it that were, that were hard to distinguish from the Scripture and, <laughs> and seemed to promote this idea. How many of you, some of you may even have a Schofield Bible at home, right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, that became, and it really took off here. But again, 1880, about the time this church started is when these ideas started to get spread around. Now, but that's not to say that the Bible doesn't talk about Jesus coming again. In fact, what do we do, Pastor Curtis, with, with Luke who talks in Acts uh, about Jesus coming again? And then uh, 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 Acts 1.11 says, They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven. This is the ascension when Jesus goes to heaven. This Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And this isn't a, a, a lone verse. There's, there's talk of Jesus coming again all over the Bible. And what I want to say about that is that it is, it is clear as we read Paul, as we read Mark, Matthew, and Luke, it is clear that not only did they think Jesus was coming again, but even as we read in Thessalonians, it's clear that they thought Jesus was coming again like in the next couple weeks. And this is perhaps why Paul says to us, don't get married. It's better not to marry unless you can't stand yourself and you know it's better to marry than to burn, he says, I guess. <laughs> and you know, it's better not to marry you know, Paul's thinking is, we're not going to be here very long. Why bother? You know, don't get too caught up in all this kind of stuff. Paul, especially in Thessalonians, which is the earliest New Testament book written, Paul thinks, any day now, any day now, Jesus is coming. And I want to say, I think this is born out of frustration with the kind of Messiah Jesus is. And the notion that and it's born out of persecution. To understand, and I want to get into the book of Revelation a little bit, to understand, what I'll say about Revelation is, to understand the book of Revelation, you must first understand that it was written by an oppressed people. A people whose lives were not in their own hands. A people who were being persecuted, thrown in jail, and killed against their will. And Revelation is born out of that oppression. And it was a very similar situation in the early church when the first three Gospels are written and when Paul is writing. It's not so much Rome, but there's this tension between the Jews and Christianity. And they're starting to get kicked out of the synagogues and things aren't going quite the way they expect. Uh, and the people under oppression people who are feeling the crunch, people who are feeling like their lives are not in their own control, start to wonder, where is God in all of this? And the message of Revelation is not a blueprint for the end of the world as much as it is a, a letter of hope to an oppressed people. What it basically says is things are bad now, they're likely to get worse, but after they get worse, they'll get better. And God and God's love wins in the end. 
That's what Revelation is about. That's what Revelation offers us as a people. But a friend of mine from South Africa says, you cannot really understand Revelation unless you've lived through apartheid. You cannot really understand Revelation unless you've been a slave. You cannot really understand Revelation unless you've been oppressed, left out, and marginalized. Then it starts to make sense to you. And I have to say, well, you're probably right. Because <laughs> I don't understand Revelation all the time and, and outside of that context. So what I want to say is all this, all this conversation, all this uh, reflection by the early gospel writers about, God, about Jesus coming again really has to be wrapped up in this understanding that, that Jesus has not finished what Jesus started. That when Jesus was gone, the world was still oppressive. The world was still hateful and violent. And everyone looked around and went, not only, not only that, but it's violent toward me. And everyone looked around and said, well, that, this can't be it. This can't be all. And, and so this expectation that Jesus was coming and coming any day really was born out of that longing for the hope that Jesus promised. And I, at the end of it all, I think it really comes down to people were not, people were a little disappointed in the kind of Messiah they got. You know, the reason people didn't notice that Jesus was the Messiah, except for this ragtag little group, was that it wasn't the kind of Messiah everyone was expecting. Right? Everyone was expecting a, a mighty king with a sword on a big horse and running around and the, kicking the Romans' butt and kick them out of Jerusalem and they were going to reestablish the throne and have the great heyday of what, uh, of, of what the Hebrew people were going to be about. But that didn't happen. What's all this love stuff? Love your neighbor. My neighbor is a jerk. Uh, love my neighbor. What is that? That's not the Messiah I was looking for. That's not the hope. I, you know, where is God's wrath? And, and what we got was a Messiah who said, you know what? Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the poor. Theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you and you're persecuted for my sake. That doesn't make sense in, their, in the world view. No wonder no one knew Jesus was the Messiah. No, one, no wonder no one embraced that except this ragtag group of poor people who had nothing to lose. And so what we see in Revelation is what? The reaffirmation of, well, okay, that, that Messiah, that Jesus, yes, that was the touchy-feely Jesus, but you know what? Jesus is coming back, and He's not going to be all lovey-dovey. <laughs> He's going to be on a horse and he's going to have a sword and he's going to kick out the unrighteous and the sinful, right? We just reiterated all over again all those expectations that Jesus didn't fit in the first place. Uh, and so I think there's a lot of that wrapped up. And when we, when we hear today people kind of longing for that second coming again, it's kind of that same thing. I'm disappointed in what God has done so far. This isn't the kind of world and kingdom of God I was hoping for. And what we're hoping for is that God will just come and smite the wicked and everything will be fine and fix it all for us. Well, and this is my, this is my angst about the second coming as a focus of Christianity. If we get into 
the idea that Jesus is coming. And, co- and, and quite frankly, those who believe in the rapture, are, as one who used to be like that, uh, who we, all, we all expect it's going to happen within our lifetime, like in the next couple of years, right? And we're looking for it and expecting it. That's why, and, and people make predictions all the time. Because, uh, you know, uh, but, and so if you get focused on that, what does that mean about our care for one another and war? Well, you know, don't worry about it because God's going to come soon and just wipe it all out. So why bother taking care of the earth? Why bother creating peace? In fact, wrapped up in dispensationalism is all this expectation that there's going to be this violence that precedes Jesus' coming. And so, in fact, working toward peace becomes a hindrance to Jesus' coming. Now, you know, that's... Really? We shouldn't work towards peace? That, my flags start going up at that point. And I start to wonder, wait a minute, what's wrong with this? And it kind of distracts us from the kingdom of God work Jesus has given us to do. To build the kind of world, piece by piece, person by person, that Christ empowered us to do. And I'm with a lot of us who look around and I'm disappointed. And we go, you know, this isn't the world I'd hoped it'd be by, you know, 2,000 years after Jesus came and told us what it should be like. And I'm disappointed too, but I think God, you know, but I don't think God says, well, give me a minute and I'll come and wipe it all out and we'll start over. I think God looks at us and goes, yeah, Curtis, I'm disappointed too. When, when are my people going to embrace the empowerment they've been given and move toward that kingdom of God that I've promised? I guess what I, what I hear from Jesus Christ is that we've been given everything we need to become the people of God we're called to be as, a, as individuals, as communities, and quite frankly, as a globe. And uh, so what I say about that is that, quite frankly, I don't need a second coming. Jesus has come. As we sing at Christmas, Jesus is come. And Easter, you know, is constantly coming. And coming again. And coming again. A second, third, fourth, three hundredth time. And Jesus comes every time we sit in prayer. Uh, There's this concept that in theology of living constantly in the tension of being in the here and now and in the yet to come. Now there is what I want to say that's affirming of, I don't want to, even as I talk, I don't want to just abandon the notion of there being something more. Because I agree with the notion that Jesus is not finished. The work of Christ has not been completed. And so if when we talk about Jesus coming again, if we sing about that day, that glorious day, as we did today, that soon and very soon, we've been singing soon and very soon for 2,000 years, and that's good, it's a good thing. Because what it says is that we live not only in the here and now, but we live in the yet to come. That is that we expect something more. 
We expect the things of Christ to come to completion, to be fulfilled, to continue. And if that, but, and what I want to say is that all those songs about, about you know, this, oh, this wonderful hymn we sang, uh, you know, when Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, if those words draw us and motivate us into good works toward the, the, the equitable commonwealth of faith that Christ calls us to, then amen. Amen. But uh, sometimes it goes too far the other way and our whole theology becomes about waiting for God to just straighten it all out. We are not called to wait. We're called to actively live in the here and now and, and in the yet to come. I'm going to conclude by reading. I've, this series has been all from Borg's, Marcus Borg's book, book, Speaking Christian. And he said that he had this great summary here at the end of this particular chapter. So will there be a... This is Marcus Borg talking. So will there be a second coming on some day in the future? I think not. Its meaning is not literal factual. Rather, the affirmation of a second coming has, has a more than literal meaning and meanings. It is the return of Jesus already experienced as the risen Christ and the Spirit of Christ. It is Jesus coming again in the rhythms of the Christian liturgical year. Advent is preparing for the coming of Jesus, about the coming again of the Christ who is already here. Jesus also comes again in communion, in the bread and the cup. Christ becomes present to us. And what is meant by the second coming is also the ultimate Christian hope for that time, to use Paul's language, when God will be all and in all. Let us pray. Gracious God, as we come to try and understand what is meant by the second coming of Christ and what it means for us and how we live out our faith, we invite Your Spirit to, to give us discernment. Help us as we try to interpret the Bible and the cultural language that is used these days to talk about that. And may we always embrace an understanding that leads us to life, to wholeness, to a future that embraces everybody, and one that encourages peace. We ask all of this in the powerful name of Christ. Amen.